Oh, goodness. All right. Well, thanks for being thrifty on time, Paul. I, uh, I'm afraid that I'm probably going to be making a beginner's mistake by tackling too much. I got too excited studying the scriptures, and I'll only say this. I cut down four times the content, so if this might feel like a lot, I at least cut it down. <laughs> Uh, but anyway, good morning. My name's Ian, uh, one of the elders here. I don't normally preach, but we're doing this, guys. So uh, if you need a Bible, raise your hand. We're going to be looking at a decent amount of scriptures, so we definitely want you to have a Bible. And um, I think what I'm going to do is read. We're going to be in Ephesians chapter 4, all of it, one whole chapter. Yes, I'm being aggressive. And uh, let me read it, and then uh, we'll dive in uh, from there. So, Ephesians chapter 4, all of it, 1 through 32. Uh, I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he also descended into the lower regions of the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, the teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children, tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes, rather Speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the whole body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Now, this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do, in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, due to their hardness of heart. They have become calloused. They have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned in Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him, as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God and true righteousness and holiness. Therefore... Having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give new opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you are sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Let's pray. 
God, I, <laughs> I know this is a lot, um, but there's a lot here. I know I've been convicted by this. <sighs> We've all missed the mark. Um, And I also know that in our missing of the mark, we've also been hurt by others that have missed the mark. And um, I don't want to do injustice to those today and wash over those hurts that they've received. But I also don't want to wash over what you call us to, of what this new life looks like. God, by your spirit, talk to us, teach us, show us by that spirit that you've given us, that adopt us into your family, be here today. Be here for my heart, Lord. I <laughs> I can far too easily make this an intellectual pursuit and not really hear what you're trying to do in my heart. So convict me too, Lord. Convict me and lead me in your path, your truth of how you want me to live this Christian life of love and service for others. Please do this, Lord. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right, uh, let's dig into this. So, um, <laughs> I get these uh, emails every day. I like to stay up on what people are doing in the world. Uh, some of it's work-related, some of it's just more intellectual curiosity. Uh, and I got this email uh, every day uh, from Medium, and this past week I got one uh, from Medium that had this idea of dealing with ta- toxic family members. I don't know if you guys can see that there. But it stood out to me because, well, one, I deal with difficult people in my life, and so it sort of stood out to me of, hmm, that's interesting. I wonder what this person has to say about that. Uh, But secondly, I thought it was interesting, the premise of this article. It was a very brief read, but it essentially was, I deal with difficult people. Those difficult people are really hard to work with, live with, be with. They take a lot of my energy. They take away from my life. Therefore, net conclusion remove them from my life, seclude them, separate myself so that I can live free, I can live how I'm supposed to. And I can appreciate where that person's coming from. I think all of us have gone through difficult things in life where it's not just that we've had one single instance of a family member or a coworker who has done wrong to us, but people that have egregiously, regularly attacked us and done wrong to the point where we just feel like we're going crazy. And I get that. It's hard. I've been through that. And the question I want to know is, what does God's word have to say about that? Does he even have anything to say about that? Are we just left our own to read blog posts to figure out what to do? Or does he have something to say to us about how to live with people that are difficult? So that's the context for this this morning with Ephesians chapter 4. Quick side note, um, this isn't all just me. Uh, I've been over the last couple of years taking classes uh, from Westminster Seminary. Uh, amazing stuff. I love it. Um, and I couldn't help but riff some of the content from there. So this isn't all just Ian. I want to give credit where credit's due. Some of this is uh, from Westminster, uh, specifically uh, Winston Smith, Studley Guy, Marriage Counseling. Uh, great book. I, I don't give a little plug for him because really challenging content, but good. All right. Well, uh, let's dive into it. I'm going to start from the top, work our way down. So uh, first bit here, Paul gives us a vision of what Christian life should look like. What should our lives look like? If we have a vision of what, how we're supposed to lead this life on earth, what is that supposed to be? I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. 
Um, it's kind of simple. He's saying, we've been adopted into this family of God, and this new life we're supposed to live is one of humble, gentle, patient love. And this isn't just because we're trying to earn God's favor, as if we earned uh, grace to come into his kingdom, and now we're trying to earn it through good works and love. Uh, He's calling us into a family, and this family, because we're together, is going to require love. Uh, And that's what he gets at in uh, verse 4. There is one body, one spirit, just as you were called, the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. I don't think he could have said it enough. He said one a lot. And I think the point is we're supposed to wrap it around our heads, especially for us Westerners. We like this idea of I'm independent. God called me because I'm special. And he's given me love. And now I'm ready to go fulfill my dreams, my passions. And Paul's saying, no, you've actually been called into one love through the Holy Spirit. And that spirit has breathed hope into you, yes. But that same hope has been breathed out into the rest of us. And we're called into family as one family because it's one God, one faith, one hope, one love. And we're now engrafted into God's family. And I can get that that seems a little awkward and weird for us. <laughs> if I was to be honest, sometimes it feels like we're just engrafted into like just be in a meeting together and awkwardly it's like, hey, we're here. Uh, all right, well, can I do my thing now? Uh, no, he's actually drawing us into this family because he wants us to grow. And I think this is a really hard thing to wrap our head around, but on our own, we can't grow like we do when we're in the body of Christ. And because of that, God gives us gifts. Uh, So verses 7 through 16 talk about that. I'm going to skip ahead to verse 11. He says, And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry for building up the body of Christ. Uh, This section often is used to describe the fact that there's different offices in the church, but I really don't think that's what Paul's trying to point out. I think he's saying, yes, there's these different people that do different things, but notice the purpose isn't there's a really special person that's doing special things because they're not you. (laughs) They're better than you. No, that's not what he's saying. He's saying these people's purpose is to love others for the purpose of building up the body so that the body themselves can build each other up. There's this groundswell of love that is others-focused. I'm being called out of darkness of serving myself into loving others for the purpose of them, for their good, because I'm more interested in your good than my own good. And, uh, okay, I guess the next question is, is that just sort of like some special season where I'm feeling really spiritual? No, he says, this is what our full life looks like. He says, until we all attain to the unity of the faith, of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Well, that doesn't happen until Christ returns in glory. So our whole lives, the whole purpose, the high calling, if I could say it that way, is for us to live in service for our brothers and sisters, in love, for their good, for their maturity. And, um, wow, that's a high call. <laughs> uh, He contrasts this in verse 14 with where we've come from. He says, the reason we are doing this is so that, verse 14, we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. It's interesting that he sort of gives the preamble of the idea that we're supposed to be in the body, that we're growing in Christ, as the preamble for so that we're not children tossed to and fro. 
I suspect, like you, I've, I've felt tossed to and fro. And I often think, was well, that because I need something in myself? Do I need to grow? Do I need something that I'm missing in my life? Do I need to read more Medium blog posts to figure out what I'm missing? And Paul's answer is, well, you need to be in the body to grow in the body so the body helps you grow in knowledge so that you're not tossed to and fro. It's sort of counterintuitive. We think it's about us independently figuring this out. But no, Paul's saying you need to be in the body so that you're not being tossed to and fro. And that's uh, what we get into with verse 15. He's saying, grow in him and build others up with the gifts he gives you. He says, rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped when each part is working properly makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. And so uh, this is what the church body's life is supposed to look like. This is the high call. We're to build each other up in love. Now, we're not very far in. We're only a good 10 minutes in. I got this far in my study, and I thought, well, okay, this, this sounds nice. Ideal world, we're supposed to love each other. Nice call. You know, we should make a movie about this. It's called Anne of Green Gables. <laughs> Uh, this seems, if I was honest, a bit naive, a little bit Pollyanna. The reality is is that life isn't this easy. Uh, People are hard to love. Uh, In fact, if I was to even be more honest, people do some really hurtful things to us that not only make them unlovable, but really wound and hurt us, Um, really hurt us. And the question is, how do we live and operate in this world where people are abusive, they're mean, they manipulate, they do difficult things. And I think that's where Paul wants us to go, so I'm going to spend a good chunk of my time there because I really want us to see how we live in reality. So, verse 17, Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them. Due to their hardness of heart, they have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. Now, what's interesting is that, yeah, Paul is saying that this is what Gentiles do, i.e. unbelievers. But notice, he's not saying that's what those evil, dirty people do. Them, we're different than that. He's actually saying, you are not to do this. He says, you must no longer walk. Well, the logical implication is that that's actually what we do. I want to pause on that because it's easy for us to say, well, we're special, we've been adopted in, we don't live like those dirty people, when in reality Paul is saying, no, uh, we're the same ones that are greedy, callous, and ignorant. Um, Jeremiah 17 says something even more. I think damning of us, it says the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. And rightfully so, Jeremiah asked the question we should, which is, who can understand it? And I think the reality is we don't understand our own hearts. We think we're pure. We think we have pure motives. We think we're doing the right thing. That others injure us. They're the ones to, be, to blame. In reality, we're pure, but we're deceived by our own hearts. And so, Yes, it's true that others hurt us, but we also hurt in return. It's not black and white. It's actually more complex than that. 
And so I, I want to spend a little time on this because I want us to be able to actually see how this plays out in our life, not just give biblical categories and just move on. I really want to see what does this actually look like in our everyday life. Um, James 4 says, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? Externally, we see things that happen. Externally, we say unpleasant things to others. James is saying it's actually the passions at war within you. Um, If you were to actually put it back to what Paul is saying, he's saying we're greedy, we're using manipulative ways, because inside we have hearts that are at war within us, passions, desires for something. And so my question is, well, what is that? What's going on inside of us? And um, I've already used the word several times, but I want to be very blunt with us because it's really easy for us to say, they're the bad guys, we're the good guys, and here's the reality. We're all manipulators, all of us. Every single one of us are manipulators that are seeking to get our own desires met at the expense of others. That's our natural movement. We do this every day. Every single one of us, I do this. We put a nice skin and face on it, but we're the ones that are deceiving others because the ultimate goal is my desires to be met. Um, So I'm going to go a little bit classroom on us. Bear with me, but um, I want us to see how this plays out. I want us to see how we every day do this and are deceived by ourselves and deceive others to get our needs met, at least attempt to. So three different movements, movements where someone might move against another, someone who might move away from another, and someone who might move towards another. And I don't want to just do this just for fun academic purposes because I want to do a quiz at the end. I want to see yourself in this, not your spouse, not your children. I want to ask you, where do you see yourself in this? And the reason for that is so that we can know our own hearts. I want us to know who we are and what's going on inside of us, that war that's going on inside of our hearts. So spend a little, few minutes on this, uh, three categories. So first, I want to talk about against. What exactly does that mean for our hearts to move against another? Um, and I will say, just as a sort of parenthetical pause, these all sound negative, but the reality is, is that they're based on positives. You could take these as positive things that get manipulated for bad, evil purposes. So uh, and by nature of saying we all have these characteristics, they're God and breathe characteristics and desires within us that we just twist for sinful ways. So, uh, <laughs> yes, we're sinners, but yes, we've also got God's creative image on us. Uh, all right, for the first one, movement against. Uh, so these are people that like to spend time in exciting activities. Um, they like competitive pursuits, and uh, the general relationship preference is to avoid self-disclosure. And the reason for that is that they don't want to be found out. They don't in any way want to be seen in a bad light. Uh, so they will conceal their feelings, um, and if anything they do share, it's more on the end of sharing anger. Um, even more aggressively, they might be ones that are boasting, use mockery. Um, they kind of have an agenda feel to the conversation. And their general MO in conflict is to attack. They go on the, def- the offensive against another uh, in preemptive strikes, or they might demonize the motives of others. So how this looks like, they could do things like using trait names. You are a liar. You're not a child of God, but I'm actually saying you are a liar. That's your identity. You are a liar. And the purpose is to make them look evil, or make the other person look evil and themselves look good. 
Uh, they might also do something like mind read. I saw that you did that. I know what you meant. You're not playing any games with me. You're an evil person who's doing something. I'm the ultimate judge of what's good, and I'm calling you out on it. And it's not because they're trying to love them. They're trying to put them down. Uh, and I hate to say it, but this first category of those that are move against, they do well in life. They're generally the CEOs of companies. They're generally the ones that are in leadership because they get the job done. Uh, second group, those that move away. So this is kind of the opposite. Instead of moving towards someone and attacking them, these are ones that pull away. Um, their time interests are more around relaxation, solo pursuits. Uh, they avoid self-disclosure like those that move against um, because they're afraid of being hurt again. So they don't initiate conversation. They conceal feelings. Um, they often use silence or sarcasm to push you away. It's a way, a mechanism of saying, don't come here, don't hurt me, get away. And their general conflict uh, preference is to avoid. And so uh, they um, shut down, uh, they have a tendency to change the subject, uh, or if pushed, continue back into a corner, they will attack against you. They might say something like, they might use exaggeration. For example, you always do this. I'm the victim here. Why are you always attacking me? Why are you always the person who's pointing out this thing to blame? Why are you always trying to do this? I'm just trying to live life. That other person isn't always doing that. They're trying to make a point that they're hurt, they're the victim, they feel this way. Um, and what's interesting is you often see these two play off each other. Those that move against, one of the natural mechanisms to cope with that, you can either go against and be in a head-to-head -head combat, or you can back away. So uh, oftentimes you do see this in relationships, particularly marriage, where one person moves against, the other person pulls away. And you often create a lot of dysfunction that way. Third category, uh, moving towards. This one's really tricky because I think Christians do this a lot, and they think that it's godly, but it's actually selfish. I know that sounds a little blunt, but the heart motive of this camp, in the negative sense, is I actually don't desire your good. I'm just trying to manipulate you so that I feel good. So these are people that are really flexible with their time. They don't have any preferences. It's like, whatever. They want to be with others. They tend towards self-disclosure, so they, they invite you in. But the reason for that is because they want you to like them. They want to be affirmed by you. So um, they might share positive feelings. They might pout as a manipulative mechanism to make you feel sorry for them. Uh, they'll be in time, inclined to flattery. So they'll say nice things about you as sort of a way of saying, well, I said something nice about you. Now it's time for you to say something nice about me. Uh, these people have a tendency in conflict to appease. So they're not attacking, they're not avoiding, but they're trying to appease. Uh, they're not able to say no. Um, if pushed, they have a tendency to gossip uh, or have bitterness. And pushed even further, uh, they have a tendency to cut you off, which is interesting because it's essentially saying, I don't care what you have to say. I think you forgot how this works. It's about me. Stop talking. Let me talk now. And I will admit that I, <laughs> if I was to be honest, that that's me. Um, their heart desires are um, for acceptance, intimacy, and belonging. 
what they fear is rejection, isolation, and shame. Um, and and I, I think the, uh, the challenge here is that if we looked at any of these things, any of these heart desires or heart fears, we could say there is good there. But we can also see how these get manipulated for um, sinful aims, of selfish aims, of finding these things in others that were meant to be found in God. Um, so I guess my question for you is, where do you see yourself? Where are you in these categories? And uh, if you don't see yourself, I'm sure ask your spouse. They'll illuminate it for you. <laughs> they'll probably know you better than yourself. Um, all right, so back to Ephesians. I think the reason for this is say, well, what's Paul saying? What is he calling us out of? What is this life that he doesn't want us to do like unbelievers? We're called away from self. We're called to love others. It's a contrast of self to others. And these heart movements, the reason I wanted to spend time on it was to say, see yourself in them. See yourself in relationships. When you're being attacked, what do you do in response? When you feel like you're not getting the love that you deserve, how do you respond in that? Um, continuing with Ephesians 4, chapter, uh, chapter 4, verse 20, Paul gives us, what the future, how we move from there. How do we move from those sinful, manipulative ways? But that is not the way you learned in Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him, as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, the manipulative self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God, and true righteousness and holiness. So, we use different words. I think what Paul is saying in simple terms is, don't do what sinners do. Don't do what comes naturally to you. What you should do is you should renew your minds and do these godlike things. Okay, well, that doesn't really help. <laughs> what does it mean to renew our minds so that we also then do these godlike behaviors? Um, so, bear with me for a minute here. If we were to continue walking through Ephesians 4, I think Paul would explain to us what he means by renew our minds, but I have a tendency to be a bit dense, and I noticed that Romans chapter 12 is almost an identical flow of logic, and so we could continue with four, Ephesians 4, but I actually want to bounce over to Romans 12 just so it becomes crystal clear in our minds. Paul is saying the exact same thing, same logic, and side by side, when you look at these things together, I think it'll become clear to us what this renewal looks like for Paul. So if you want to, you can flip to Romans chapter 12. I'm going to go very quickly through this. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. There's our phrase. That by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So this one is a slight nuance. I mean, it's very similar language, but he's saying renewal on one hand and then testing. And the testing is in context with living out this Christian life. So somehow these things are working side by side. So let's keep going to see what Paul has to say. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned, 
down to verse 9. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal, but fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. All right. So I'm be a little bit cheeky here, but it's basically saying be humble and serve one another. All right. I haven't heard anything new. Same Christian stuff. All right. Let's keep going. Verse 14. Bless those who persecute you. Ugh. Okay. Well, <laughs> uh, bless and do not curse them. Hmm. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome evil, or I'm sorry, do not uh, be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. I want to understand what Paul has to say about renewal, but it's rather distracting, these comments about blessing those who persecute you, blessing them and not cursing them, not avenging ourselves, giving our enemy food and giving him drink. Like, if I was to be honest, I read this and I'm like, I've read this before, but as a Christian, as I hear this, I say, no, you don't seem to get it. They don't deserve these things. They don't deserve my love. They don't deserve my grace. God smite them. They're my enemy. Do you guys feel that? So let's continue with Ephesians chapter 4, because I, I think it'll become clear to us what the answer is. Verse 25, Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God and Christ forgave you. Ouch. Do you feel that? I do. On the one hand, I get really angry and hurt by others and say, that's not right. Smite them, God. And yet, I read this and I say, what a sinner I am. <laughs> I have pride and arrogance that just is brewing within my heart. I think God should give me grace, but he should give them judgment. I deserve to be treated special. They should be thrown out with the heathens. And this is, I think, the renewal of the mind, is God saying through Paul, remember where you came from. Remember how you came to faith. Remember what Christ did for you. 
you see how you did not deserve this? Do you see that God gave you grace that you did not merit? If anything, you did everything to unmerit it, demerit yourself from grace, and yet God gave you grace anyway. Why would he treat them any differently? And so I think the renewal is we see ourselves clearly. We remember where we came from. We see our hearts for what they truly are. Our self-focus, our manipulation, our pride, our arrogance, our boastfulness, and let God renew us in grace of his love, come back to the foot of the cross, that he can change us, give us a desire for love for others. This is God's wisdom. This is his way of working. Um, He removes the blinders from us and gives us eyes to see what his grace really looks like in every day. And I think the reason we need to renew our minds is because we need to remember this. We forget it. (laughs) It is as natural as us to breathing for us to come back to the idea of pride and arrogance and boastfulness. That comes just, don't even have to ask Ian these things. I'll wake up in the morning and that will be right on the forefront of my heart. And I need to be renewed. I need to be reminded of what Christ has done for me. And I just, if I could say it this way, guys, like, why are we so stingy as Christians? Do we not see what the love of Christ has done for us? We did not deserve this. Why are we so short in handing out love to others when Christ has literally given him his, his, his life? What more could he have done? And yet we're saying, no, I, I'm not going to feed my enemy because he doesn't deserve it. It's like, what woeful, pitiful servants we are to say that we know better than God. And I think this is where the renewal comes in, as we see these two truths side by side. As we try to love others, we see our sin. We see our sinful pride in our hearts. And we have to come back to Christ and let him work on our hearts to show us new ways that we've sinned against him, and yet also see even more deeply the love of Christ. And as we're changed by him, then we go back to the doing and we're able to love, not because there's something special in us, but because Holy Spirit works in us, just like he did to save us, and able to us to serve and love others. Does that make sense? So I think these two things come side by side. Renewal of our mind and then also putting on the new self, this living out of the Christian faith. So um, let's go back uh, to this list that Paul has for us of what it looks like to apply this in our life. What does this Christian life look like? I've been hinting at it, but I really want to walk through it specifically. Um, So if we go back through this list, starting with verse 25, he says uh, that we're to put away falsehood. That's the old self. And instead, we are to speak the truth with our neighbor. We are to be angry and not sin. That's kind of the corollary of verse 26, of to be angry and not sin. And we're to reconcile the same day. It's easy to hold on to bitterness, but we're to reconcile the same day. Uh, Verse 28, uh, the thief is to no longer steal. Sort of an interesting side parenthetical note. Uh, That means there's thieves among us. (laughs) There's sort of accepted Christian sins. I'm not sure that someone who's stealing is one of them, but Paul is clearly saying uh, that the thief is no longer to steal, but instead they are to labor and do honest work. Not because that's the right Christian duty, but so they can share All these attributes are moving from self to others, my interests to others' interests. 
let's continue. Um, let no corrupting talk. So we're self is corrupting talk. Instead, we are to build up as fits the occasion, to give grace to those who hear. Selfish, corrupting talk, building up and giving grace to others. He summarizes it with just a laundry list of stuff, bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, malice. That's what our selfish life looks like, and instead we're supposed to be kind, tender-hearted, forgiving. If I went back to verse 14, he gives another list of attributes about us. Human cunning, craftiness, deceitful schemes. That's where we came from. And instead, we're called into this new life of speaking the truth in love, growing in Christ, and building up one another. So, key diagnostic question for us. Am I generally moving towards someone because I want to manipulate them to extract benefit from me? Or am I moving toward people to honor them as belonging to God and see them mature in him? I think that's hard because... Very often, even for myself, my ultimate goal is to extract benefit from me. I want to be affirmed. I want to be loved. I want to be treated the way I want to be treated. I want to achieve my goals, and therefore I'm going to do all I can to make that happen. In fact, (laughs) the first book I received uh, came to Silicon Valley was a networking book, and the premise of the whole thing was they just accepted this. You're in relationships because I'm extracting benefit from you. If I need a plumber, I'm going to keep a relationship with a plumber so that I can extract benefit from you as a plumber. If I want someone who's connected with money, I'm going to have relationships with you because someday I'm going to want money, so therefore I'm going to be nice to you so someday I can do that. It was just accepted beliefs that there's this idea that we do relationships to extract benefit from them versus seeking to honor them and help them grow, whether or not we receive benefit or not. And I think that's the hard uh, call for us, uh, but it's the holy call uh, to move from self-manipulating others to acting in others' best interest. And if we were honest, um, as we do life, stuff happens. It's almost surprising. I wake up in the morning, I'm thinking, man, I had coffee, I had my breakfast, I'm feeling really good, I had time in the Word, like I'm feeling good. And then something happens, and oh my goodness, the stuff that comes out of my mouth and it's in my heart, it's like, where did that come from? I was feeling so good. That's not me. I blame the other person. They did something to make that happen. And yeah, they may have provoked you, but I think the hard, honest truth is that they may have provoked something, but it was in you in the first place. If I'm not acting kind, if I'm not being loving... It's because that's what's not in me. And man, um, I just, (laughs) I I don't know how to say it, but, um, you know, at this point in my study, I just felt like, man, I, I fall so short of this. I fall so short of this. Maria can test to that. Um, I'm sure my home group can, and I um, honestly, if I've done something to injure any one of you, I really want to know about it so I can ask your forgiveness because <laughs> I see some serious sin in my life reading this, and I know that um, it's God's grace that's working in me, and I, I don't want 
my sin against you to prevent you and your walk. And I, I do ask that you would come to me so that I can ask for your forgiveness. And, and I think this really is the Christian walk. I mean, God commands us to love others, not because they deserve it, but because that's what we've received. And the Christian walk that's so hard is that people do hurt us, right? <laughs> and it's not just cutting us off in something simple. They manipulate and twist and try to do things to extract benefit from us, and we feel it, don't we? We feel how they've wronged us and abused us and taken advantage of us. And the question is, well, what do we do given that? And the hard Christian call is that Paul says, and you know, the Holy Spirit through Paul says, we are to love one another and err on the side of grace. And um, that's not easy. So I want to spend a few minutes um, talking about probably some challenges you have, because I have these challenges. I think a lot of us may have read this and got to this point and said, great, well, Christians basically have to default to love and therefore are open to abuse. They're open to be taking advantage of. So I want to spend a few minutes talking about three concerns that we can have reading this passage and say, wait a minute, is this really what you mean? Because I've heard the call to love, but I'm still <laughs> I'm struggling to understand, is this really what you mean? So three things. Uh, first one, uh, does that mean that we're supposed to be Christian doormats? People have said that. Um, yeah, you, you can buy these on Amazon or Etsy if you want. <laughs> um, and, and I think the hard answer is, the answer is yes, and yet it's no. And, and I realize that's not fair, so let me explain what I mean by that. Yes, here's the yes. Uh, Jesus in Matthew 5. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone would sue you to take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. Turn the other cheek, be a doormat. First uh, Peter 4. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings. Christ suffered things he did not deserve at the hands of men. He was abused on our behalf. I mean, he wasn't just a doormat. He was murdered. And so um, kind of the, the chief question for us as Christians as we look at Ephesians 4 is not, am I going to suffer? The answer is yes, we will suffer. If we're emulating Christ, we will suffer. Our chief concern is loving well because Christ has loved us well. And if we don't really feel that, because likely we won't, as we try to live out love, we will feel the pride in our hearts welling up, and we will experience Christ's love for us even more deeply. So yes, we do lower ourselves for the sake of others because our chief aim, the whole purpose of our life is not to maximize benefit for me, not to achieve my goals, not to achieve my dreams, not to have my gifts somehow at the highest of their potential. My chief aim as a surrendered Christian is to see you, you, grow in faith, grow in maturity. That's my aim. That's my goal. That's my high call. And so is it for all of us. And so 
my concern is to love others well because I've been loved well. So that's the yes side of it. But the no side of the Christian doormat is um, it doesn't just mean doing what the other person wants you to do. Being a servant is about giving what the other person, not what they want, but what they need, and letting God define what they need. So um, I, I think there's been plenty of examples where if we were to look at any of those forms of manipulation where those things look like ways that we're trying to be twisted by another for what they desire. And our key question is, well, how do we love well? How do we love them the way that God wants us to love them and honor them? So simple process. I realize it might seem a little too simplistic, but uh, three thoughts on how this process works of how do we love well? How do we not give what the person wants, but what they need? Three ideas. Yield, wait, confront. Yield, uh, this is kind of the default for a Christian. I really honestly believe that our default is to yield our desires for the benefit of the other person, because it's just not about us. Our goal is for the other person to see grace. Why is it about us? It's not. Our goal is to yield the desires for the benefit of the other. Second, to wait, to be patient with the person. God is not hammering us. He is so patient with us. Why are we so short to say, cut people off and say, no, you wronged me? Our goal is to wait, to be patient with people, because God's patient with us. And why? Because, well, frankly, you might need to get your heart right with God first, because you see the sin coming up and you're just not ready to talk. Um, but on the converse side of that, uh, you wait because the other person may not be ready to hear from you. You're not talking to another person because it's right time for you and it's at the forefront of your mind and you just can't wait to give it to them. So I'll tell you what, when you're doing it that way, you're not wanting to love the person. You're wanting to get it off your heart to tell them how they've wronged you. And my question is, if that's what's on my mind, am I really looking to honor them and love them? Or am I looking to tell them how they've hurt me because they need to feel the pain? So my suggestion would be to wait. Um, other reasons maybe why to wait is because um, maybe out of character for the person. We don't need to always call out everything. This life of, could you imagine just being under the weight of always having everything nitpicked and said, nope, wrong, 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 wrong. We're going to turn into just fragile, broken creatures. We err on the side of grace and love because we just can't function under that. And then finally we wait because... Gosh, we just take a longer-term view. We just don't think that in the light of the bigger picture of their life that this one thing is really that important. So yield, wait, uh, third, confront. Um, Verse 15 is our guide here. It says to speak the truth in love. Uh, To be more blunt, it is hatred to not address sin. We don't just always say patience, But because my heart is for you, because my heart is for your good, because I want to see you grow and mature, I want to talk to you about your sin. Not because you're the enemy, but your sin is the enemy. And I want to have you see what I'm seeing, and I want to talk about it. But the difference here, and this is a really critical one, is I'm not moving toward you to call out your sin and tell you how you're wrong, to call out distinctions. I've been hurt. You're wrong. I'm on the side of right, you're on the side of not right. This creates distinctions and doesn't invite relationship. 
We want to, as we do this approach of talking to someone, ask questions. Assume we don't have it right. We want to invite their feedback. We want to invite relationship. We want to communicate hope to the person that we actually have desires for better things for them. Do you see the difference of saying, you're wrong, you need to fix this, you've not done this right, you better figure it out or else you're not going to have a relationship with me, versus, did you see what just happened here? This is what I saw. I'm not interpreting it, but this is what I saw. What did you mean by it? I'd actually like to know what your heart behind this was, because for me, I, I, I interpreted it this way and it hurt, but I'd like to hear your feedback on that. And I want to invite us to have a conversation and talk about it together. Does that distinction make sense? We want to invite relationship with others. Um, and just kind of the simple way of saying it is that we're doing nothing other than modeling what God has done for us. We're not doing anything novel. We're doing completely what God has done for us in forgiveness, in love, and inviting us in. Um, God does not say, one more strike and you're out. He just doesn't do that. His love is overflowing. His mercies are new every day. He invites us to love. So, in summary, Christian doormat. I know I spent a lot of time on this. So, the answer is, are we a Christian doormat? Yes. But because God calls it to us, and we're obeying him, and we choose to do what God calls us to do, not do what the person is trying to manipulate us to do. Does that make sense? Uh, Second concern that can come up, and um, I know I can't do this topic justice, so I'm going to be brief, but um, domestic violence. Uh, Wrongly, the church has used terms like submission and covering and all sorts of host of other words to do great injustices to families. And I, I don't know how to be more clear to say domestic violence is wrong. It's not acceptable in the holy church of God. And that can be physical violence, threats of physical violence, sexual violence against family members, even emotional abuse, demeaning someone, humiliating them, calling them names, degrading them into an object, ignoring someone as if they're a non-person. These are violence against a person that does not communicate love and is not acceptable. This is sin. And um, my simple statement is, if this is you, I realize it's hard and it's complex and it's really challenging to navigate these circumstances. And I'd say just talk to someone, whether it be me, Nick, someone in your home group, talk to someone, get help. You cannot do these things alone. Submission is always about someone choosing to do the submitting, not being forced involuntarily into submitting. Um, okay, well, I'm sure there's more that could be said there, but um, so that's concern two, domestic violence, not acceptable. Concern number three, uh, how do we handle just overtly aggressive people, a.k.a. narcissists? Um, you know, these are people who, on the one hand, invite us in. They're just really gracious, seemingly. They use kind words. They seem to have our best interest at heart, do things to cause us to open up and share vulnerable things with them. Yet then they flip it around the other way and twist our words. They make us feel small. They make us want to do things that they think is best for them. But in really, uh, what's going on is they're just belittling and degrading us. And the question is, what do you do with people that are so overtly aggressive that you're starting to feel like you're losing their, your mind, your sense of sanity with these kind of people? Um, 
I can relate to this. I have people in my life like this. Um, and I don't mean to be a broken record, but our, our path and our way forward, our approach is no different with these people. It's still to love people well. We still are seeking to love them well. And the question is, how do you work with these kind of people? Um, because their behavior is hurtful. And so uh, this comes back to the idea, I think, of verse 15 of speaking the truth in love, letting them know what you're doing, being direct and bold about it, uh, and being very clear, but yet also modeling what uh, verses 1 through 3 says, humility, tenderness, patience. Those are still our MO. They may not be giving that to you, but you're modeling that to them. Now, that being said, I can appreciate that there are people that are difficult to work with, and you've done this, you've communicated with them, you've called out their behavior in love and inviting relationship and explaining to them what a better path forward might be, and they still might do those things. And I can understand that at some point you may not be the right person to be in their life to go through that journey with them, and you might need to have some sense of separation in that relationship. That does happen. Uh, my encouragement would be to pray about it, to make sure your heart's right about really asking God about how to honor him with that relationship because it's difficult. And then the second thing I would say is be with the church. <laughs> this is why the church has gifts, is to help come alongside you and to help you through this process, this difficult process, to give you strength and also to give you discernment about how to move forward. So seek counsel. Don't do it alone. I mean, that's true for all these categories. Don't do it alone. Uh, the whole point of these gifts is to we are able to build each other up in love. And this is part of it, is living out life with difficult people, growing in faith, in maturity, in God, and doing this together. Um, final point, I'm actually getting to the end. Um, I've read so many of these articles, <laughs> Medium posts, that are trying to take this flip side of manipulation and say, they've manipulated you, well, ha-ha, joke's on them, we've figured them out, here's how you manipulate them in return to get what you want. That's not our approach. That's not loving well. That's just manipulating again. Ultimately, your goal is to honor God with your actions. They may not respond the way you want them to. They may continue or they may get worse. You know you've succeeded when you've honored God with your actions. And you can be proud of that. You can be rejoiceful over God and be accountable to God for your actions as honoring him. They have to be responsible before God for their actions, just like you are. And so I realize that may not f feel fulfilling, but uh, ultimately we desire to model love and grace and kindness to others, just as we've received, and we're not responsible for their behavior. Um, all right, so in closing, why do we do this? Because this is hard. And I, I hope that there's specific examples you've seen in your own life. I've talked about this where you've said, I can relate. I've experienced hurtful people, and I can also see how my heart is also tempted toward pain and manipulation and deceiving to get what I want. And so the question is, given that, there's two choices. We either come into this one body and do it, or we say, no thank you. I'm called to one body, but you know what? It's too hard. It's too much work. This is too painful. No thank you. I'm either going to be on the fringes and be surfacy, or I'm just not going to do it all together. And so here's the thing, guys. 
God is calling us to love because we've been loved. And my encouragement is, if you feel the hurt, I'd say, good. We're sinners. I'm sinners. You're feeling what I'm given. But I'd also say, press into the Lord. Press in to feel the mercy and kindness of the Lord and know him more deeply so that your heart can be changed. You can know his love of what he's done for you and that you then also want to give that to others because it's so much better than manipulation. So much better than manipulation. Manipulation hurts, deceives, and wounds. Jesus' grace heals, binds up, and restores and matures. And that's what we want for others because when we really feel that for ourselves, we say, there's nothing worth living for except for that. We want others to know that. So my encouragement to you is uh, what Paul says in verses 1 and 2 of chapter 5. He says, Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. Walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. So um, let God's model be your guide for how you live life. It's really hard. But I encourage you that as you press in to love others and realize where you fall short and how they fall short on you, you'll see your own heart more clearly And God will do amazing work in your heart so that not only will you know him more, but you'll desire to love others more.